Were you guys ready for the word this morning? Well, praise God. Let's go ahead and bow our head as we come to it. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. Lord, I thank you that as we spend time in your word this morning, Father, that your word would accomplish inside of us what you intended to accomplish. Lord, we don't just want to show up on a Sunday to hit some sort of spiritual check mark, but instead, Father, we want to grow, we want to learn. We want to grow in faith and in revelation of who you are. And this morning, Father, even as we're going over what, what some would consider the basics, some of the stuff that we might all think, hey, I already know this stuff. Even then, Lord, I pray that we would still grow, that we would learn, and that we will not leave this place the same way that we came in. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we go ahead and continue in this idea of who we are as a church, today we're going to be focused on that we are a people who walk by faith. I know that faith is important if you're a Christian. That's kind of how everything works. That's how we receive salvation. It's, it's, it's by faith. It's how we do anything. Matter of fact, the Bible says that if you do anything not in faith, it's a sin. As Christians, we're to walk by faith. And today we're going to really break down what that means to walk by faith. Because when we start talking about this, it's easy to say we need to walk by faith. But the question is, if you don't know what faith is, you don't know how to walk by faith. So we're going to answer that question. What really is faith today? Because here's the thing. When we talk about faith in the, in the world, it's all based on human experiences. Not a single one of you took a second thought this morning when you walked in and you sat down in that chair. You all had faith that it was going to hold you up. Not a second thought. Why? Because your earthly experience tells you that when you sit down on a chair, it holds you up. And when we've sat down in so many chairs our whole life, that's, we have faith in the things that we do. We have faith that the sun's going to come up tomorrow because it does every single day. This is because of worldly experiences. But faith in God is different. Because faith in God, sometimes you're looking at things that are unseen. Faith in God is based on the infallible truth of the Word of God. It has nothing to do with your experience. It has everything to do with what God says. Amen? And that's the question. Are we crazy enough to believe that God is who He says He is and He'll do what He says He's going to do? Even if it doesn't make sense? Even if it doesn't look like that's how it's going to work out? That's walking in faith, trusting that God is who He says He is and that He'll do what He says He's going to do. So the question is then, if that's what faith is based off of, then can he be trusted? And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at, is he who he says he is? Will he really do what he says he's going to do? And then we're going to look at what it looks like in our own lives, in the life of a Christian, based on stories in the Bible, of what it looks like to walk by faith. Amen? All right, Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. As I said to begin with, we need to really start talking about what faith is. And how many of you know that it's super convenient? The Bible has a definition right in there for us. It tells us what faith is. In 1982, do you guys know what the Webster's Dictionary had for the word faith? This is what it said. In 1982, faith, the firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel, which influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. Boy, they had it right in 1982. That was, a good, that was a good definition. You want to know what it is today? It's watered down to this. 
belief in God or in the doctrines or teachings of religion. I think they had it better in 1982 when they said it influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. You see, today they're trying to attach that worldly thing to faith. But faith is all about putting your complete trust in Christ, putting your complete trust in God for every area and every aspect of your life. Not only is it just that, but it says faith is the assurance. Assurance can also be translated to substance or subsistence. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the biblical, it's the, it's the, the foundation, the very foundation that our, that our hope stands on. But you know that without faith, biblical hope is meaningless. Because, you know, there's a difference between hope is the way the world sees it. You'll notice this theme. The world sees things differently than the way that the Bible teaches them and the way as Christians we should view them. But hope in the world is very subjective. It's more like a wish. You know, like, I hope it rains tomorrow. When we say we, have, we hope it rains tomorrow, it doesn't mean that we believe it's going to rain tomorrow. It means we kind of, we wish it would rain tomorrow. But hope in the Bible is completely different. When we say we have a hope in Christ for salvation, we're not like, you know, it'd be pretty good if, if Christ saved us. I mean, I wish that were the case. But no, our hope is the assurance. It's the substance of those things, of, the, of our hope. Our faith makes it where we believe these things are a done deal. They're, they're a reality. Not like worldly hope. And then it says, Faith is the conviction of things not seen. One of the greatest stories of faith in the Bible is the widow who uh, Elijah prayed that she would have a kid, she'd have a son. And then several years down the road, the kid gets sick and he dies. And this woman, I, I can't imagine, like I have pictures in my head, I wish I could share the pictures, but I could just see her storming out of the house. She's heading for Elijah. She's got her, 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 her dress pulled up a little bit, you know, like I guess it would be like those, those 50s movies of the, of the angry woman that just starts, that's what I see in my head, that's what I vision, and she's just going after Elijah right now. She's, she's upset, and, and uh, as she's going down, Elijah, Elijah calls out to her and says, is everything well? And she says, all is well. Now that's a very interesting phrase to respond when she's going after the prophet <laughs> because her son is dead. She says, all is well. All was not well. From a worldly perspective, they, everyone would have said she was crazy. Everyone would have said, what is she thinking? Obviously it's not well. Her son's not well. What is going on? They, they would call her out of her mind. But she had a conviction of things not seen. She believed what God had told her through the prophet earlier, that she would have a son. So that's the difference between faith. Sometimes we believe, it's like we, we talk about faith in sitting in the chair. You can see the chair and you can sit down on it and, and, and we have experiences that tell us that, that it's going to hold us up. But what about when you have faith in God for healing when the doctors keep telling you that the cancer is getting worse. If you believe God that you're healed, does that mean you're crazy or do you just have a conviction for a thing that's unseen because God has said something different 
about you. And then people will call, call it blind faith. Anybody ever heard of, of faith in, in God as some sort of blind faith? They say blind faith is, is dumb. You shouldn't have blind faith. And the truth is I agree with you. Agree with them. You shouldn't have blind faith. Blind faith is stupid. Blind faith is scary. But when you put your trust in God, there's nothing blind about it. I mean, you can just look around and, and look up at the stars in the sky and see everything that's created and you know that there's a God. There's nothing blind about that. The Bible says that, that everything testifies to God. Trust in God, faith in God, there's nothing blind about it. It's actually the most secure thing that you can do. It's the sanest thing that you can do. The truth is everybody has faith in something. What's yours in? Is it in your job? Today, I would ask people, is it in the government? Everybody's, I mean, they've done polls and, and there's a significant percentage of Americans that think that the government should start handing out $2,000 monthly checks. They're putting their trust in the government to save them. Is it in your spouse, your friends, your family? Where is your faith? We all have faith in something. Let's make sure ours is in God, amen? Because here's the thing. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Faith is how we please God. It's the only way to please God. It's the only thing God is looking in you. And when you put your faith and trust in Him, all those other things that, that, that are expected come out naturally. When you put your faith in Christ and you realize that He's made you brand new, and you realize that, that because he loves you, that you should love others because you trust in that, then all of a sudden the way you live your life is differently. And, and the, the loss that was fulfilled in Christ is now living itself out in you. How many know that if you love people because you put your faith in Christ, you've been saved, and you believe that what he says is true about you, that you're not the same, so you're going to love like he loves. When you love people, you fulfill the Old Testament law. Not that we have to fill it as, as because it's law. We, we do it naturally out of a changed inner person and we change who we are. Because if you love people, you don't steal from them. If you love people, you don't kill them. If you love people, you don't envy them. And then the other is if you love God, you don't put something else in front of them. The entire law is summed up in what Christ did and what has been accomplished in us through Him. But the reality is, is that nothing else pleases God but our faith. Sacrifices and offerings don't please God. In Hebrews 10, 5 through 6, it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Neither do our good works. You know our good works aren't pleasing to God? And Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our inequities like the wind take us away. All of our good wakes are like a polluted garment if you don't have trust in, in God, if you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ. Every good thing that you do is, is nothing. That's why Paul said this. Philippians 3.8, he says, Indeed, I count everything, not most things, not some things, but he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Every other thing is worthless without Christ. All your good works, all your things that, that people think that they're doing to be pleasing to God without faith, you're accomplishing nothing. The truth is, is that our religious ceremony won't cut it. But it's only faith in Christ. Not doing bad or not sinning is not is what is pleasing to God. In other words, keeping score is not what's pleasing to God. How many know that if there was someone that, that lived their own life from a human perspective is just an amazing person that when they stand before God, there won't be enough to tip the balance in their favor. They still need Jesus Christ. Because there's not enough that we can do to be pleasing to God. Because we've all fallen short. We all fall short of the glory of God. So there's nothing that we can do but put our trust in Jesus Christ. And our faith is what, is, is what makes it pleasing to Him. Like I said before, it's something you'll probably hear me say a lot today, but we have to believe that He is who He says He is, and that He'll do what He says He will do. And that's pleasing to Him. And that's the question. Well, if that's what we have to trust, is, is he trustworthy? Is he someone we can put our trust in? The truth is we can't put our faith in just anybody. We talked about it earlier. What do you have faith in? You put your faith in something else, it will let you down. The truth is, is that you put your faith in anybody. That's why I talked earlier that you shouldn't come to the church to hear me. You should come to meet Jesus because if you put your faith in me, I will let you down someday. That's just a fact. And the truth is that's the same about everybody. But, but God will never let you down. This is what it says in James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is trustworthy. He is faithful. And the truth is, is, if you're a Christian, you see his work in your life. Matter of fact, I can look back in times before I was a Christian and see God's work and moving in my life. And I see evidence of his faithfulness every single day. Now, I don't trust God because of the evidence or strictly because of the evidence. I put my trust in him because I believe he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he's going to do. But because of that, as a result of that, I see the evidence of that every single day in my life as God is faithful, as he's taken care of me, as he's made sure that every single need is met. We don't have to look far to see God working in our life. And it's not just because of the stuff we have. But it's how our lives are changed. You know, the greatest evidence for God in my life is not that, that I've been blessed. It's not that I've been taken care of. But it's the fact that I'm not who I used to be. I know who I used to be. I'm glad that I'm not him. You should be glad that I'm not him. But I don't think I have to ask any of you guys. You guys know who you used to be before Christ as well. But Christ has changed me. I'm not the person that I used to be. I remember when I was growing up, uh, after I had moved out, and, and uh, my mom uh, used to tell me that I was selfish. And I would get so offended over that because I looked at my life, and I just I didn't think I was. I look back now, and I was so selfish. 
And I was just blind to it. But I'm not who I used to be. I'm not the person that I used to be. Christ has changed me. I see the evidence of that in my life because he is faithful and he's no different for me than he would be for you because it says that there is no variation. There is no shadow due to change. He doesn't change his mind. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? He doesn't change if he said it, he will do it. I mean, truthfully, how do, we, how do we determine if somebody is faithful or trustworthy in our own lives? It's if they tell the truth. If they're not always changing. They're not breaking promises. You know, those are the things that we look at. And the truth is, is that God has done none of those things. He's never broken a promise to us. He's never changed his mind. He's always been faithful. And what he says stands the test of time. And the truth is, is that he loves us. Amen? So then, how do we get faith? How many know that you can get more faith? Your faith can grow. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is why it's so important that you read your word every single day. Because if you want your faith to grow, this is how you do it. You know, this is where you learn when you read the Word, you begin to, to read what God says about you. You begin to see who he said, what He says about His Son and what He says about you through His Son. And you get to see stories of God moving and this encourages your faith and your faith begins to grow. Dwight Moody, who was a preacher and evangelist in the 1800s, said this, if all the time I have spent praying for faith was put together, it would be months. I thought that someday faith was going to come down and strike me like lightning, but faith did not come. Then one day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith, and now I opened my Bible and began to read God's word, and faith has been growing ever since. Our faith has grown by spending time in the Word. By hearing and reading the Word of God. Our faith doesn't grow by somebody telling us to believe. Even today, as I encourage you, and, and we go through, we're, gonna, we're going through a lot of Scripture, and that's the reason why I use a lot of Scripture when I preach. Because the truth is, the words that I say aren't going to increase faith in your life. It's the Word of God that's going to increase faith in your life, that you're going to grow. Now, I hope that God uses me to, to help you understand and maybe help you apply some of this stuff to your life. But if it was just me up here talking, nothing would be accomplished. It's His Word that accomplishes anything in your life. And even me up here telling you that you need to have faith, that you need to do this, that's not going to grow your faith. It's spending time in the Word as you begin to learn who God is. Our faith doesn't grow because people tell us to believe. This is going to come to shock to some of you, but testimonies don't produce faith. Do you know that? Nobody ever came to Jesus because you shared how God changed your life. Now what they do is create opportunities for us to share the Word of God, which is actually what produces faith. But our testimonies, our testimonies aren't going to save anybody. Now, I'm not saying don't share them. Like I said, they're an excellent opportunity to open the door when, 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 when you share your testimony and they see how your life has changed and say, well, how did that happen? And that gives you an opportunity to share the gospel. 
and then their life can be changed. But not, not because of, of what happened in your life, not because of your story, but because of the word of God that you had the opportunity to share. The truth is, is that faith that rests on the wisdom of men, faith that rests on the stories of others, it doesn't stand the test of time. Because anybody's faith that was developed because of the word of man, the word of a preacher, it can be torn apart because it's not founded on anything solid. How many people have walked away from the faith because some leader fell? Because their faith wasn't in God, their faith was in some leader. That's why I try so hard to not be the only one that's up here. That's why Joseph preaches almost as much as I do. I don't want you coming to see me. I don't want people coming and having their, their faith built on, on, on me as a man because the truth is, is like I said, I'll, I'll let you down at some point. Now I pray that we get through it. You know, that's the key to, to having a healthy relationship and a healthy family is the truth is, is the families tick each other off sometimes, but they work through it. The question is not will I upset you or will you upset me or anybody else in this church. The question is what will you do when that happens? Will you come together and work through it and become stronger? Or you just run away? Try to find something else. You know, how many people have left churches because they got upset? And instead of working out, they went to another church. And then the cycle continues. And it's just over and over and over. Instead of actually working through relationships, instead of putting your faith in other people, put your faith in God. And don't let the failures of others break that relationship that you have with Him. It's a brittle creation, faith, that's created based on some man or woman. Amen? But there's also something else we have to discuss when we talk about faith. Did you know that there's an enemy of faith? In Matthew 13, 55 through 58, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did, the, did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Jesus went to his hometown. He's been doing miracles. People are getting healed. Lives are getting changed. Miracles beyond miracles, stuff that we, we couldn't even imagine seeing today sometimes. And he goes to his hometown. And what does it say? He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Because they didn't believe that he was who he says he was. And that he would do what he says he would do. He act, they actually limited Jesus' ability to operate in that space, in their hometown because of their lack of faith. And that's, the, that's really the, the lack of faith. The, faith, the opposite of faith is, is unbelief, not believing. Because they didn't believe, they actually limited. And I want you to see this, because this is something that is talked about, and I, 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 it's something that I'm still working through in my, my own faith as well, but understanding the difference between timing and lack of faith when stuff doesn't happen in my life. 
Especially when the word is clear on something, when we believe in something and we have faith in it, it doesn't happen. We wonder, well, why is it that it doesn't happen? And, and sometimes stuff doesn't happen in our lives because of unbelief. We actually limit God's ability to work in our lives because we don't actually believe what's going on. And I don't know all the details, if, if I'm being honest with you. And I think God does things in a lot of different ways. But I know I've had those conversations with God saying, God, why is this not happening? I'm trusting you. And some of it's timing. We're going we're gonna to talk about that in a minute. Sometimes it's not that your lack of faith, it's, it's that you have to have faith and patience. Sometimes you have to wait a little bit for God to, to, to have those promises come to fruition. But what I do know is that when we put our trust in God, He is faithful regardless of the circumstances. And I think that's where some of us screw up, and we'll get there in a little while. But, but we put our trust in God. It doesn't happen the way we expected it to happen or as fast as we expected it to happen, and then we stop having faith. We start to have disbelief, and then nothing ends up happening. The truth is, is we can limit God's ability to work in our lives. And this isn't something that I'm saying. This is clear from the Scripture by, by not trusting Him. I mean, remember when Peter stepped out of the boat? Can you imagine that situation? He steps out, he begins walking on water, the most amazing experience he's ever had in his entire life, and it's because he trusted God. And then he went ahead and began to sink. And what did Jesus say to him when he began to sink? He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter could have kept on walking on water. Matter of fact, he started out great. But then he began to have unbelief. He began to, to doubt. And he began to sink in the water. Because sometimes we start out good, but at the first sign of trouble, we begin to lose it. Anybody ever thought to themselves that, man, Pastor Wayne, faith is hard right now. We just don't see the things that they saw back then. You know what? If I lived in Jesus' time, man, you would see the faith that I would have. I would never doubt. If I saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead, why would I doubt? But the thing is, is all these men lived with Jesus. They saw him raise people from the dead. Thomas still doubted. When things got rough, Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter, who had walked on water and then doubted and began to sink, then he denied Jesus. The truth is, is that it wouldn't be any different today as it was for them. Matter of fact, we have it better because we have the Word of God written down. We see all the miracles. We see all the outcomes. We see how it all worked out. It should be easier for us to have faith. But that's the thing is, is that if we're not careful and we let doubt creep in, we begin to see God being limited in our life. And here's the thing is that we, can, we should never underestimate the power of faith. In Matthew 17, 20, he says, He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. I think this is one of the most misunderstood scriptures in the Bible. Because I've seen... People say so many times that they only have to have a little faith and they can move mountains. Matter of fact, there's a, uh, a popular song out this right now that says that I've heard that it you only have to have a little faith to move mountains and that's a good thing because a little faith is all I have. I think that's 
terrible theology. <laughs> because it doesn't say if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Or what does it say? It says if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, then you can move mountains. If you have little faith, you're not going to be moving anything. If you want to move a mountain, that's going to take a whole lot of faith. Because to have faith like a mustard seed doesn't mean have a little itty-bitty type of faith. It means to have faith that starts small, but you plant it and you water it and it grows into something massive. Is the, the tiniest of, if you've ever seen a mustard seed, they're, they're itty-bitty. They're like the size of a, of, a, of a ballpoint pin tip. They're very small seeds, but they grow up into plants that are six, eight, ten feet tall that are big enough that full-grown birds can land on them and they don't, they don't, they don't succumb to the weight. They start out small, but when you water them, when you exercise them, when you grow them, they become huge. That's what I believe he's saying right here. He's not saying if you have a little tiny bit of faith, you can move a mountain. He says if you have faith like a mustard seed, faith that grows, faith that you take care of and you exercise. You know, faith is much like a muscle. If you don't exercise it, it's not going to grow. But if you do that, it'll grow into something massive. And there'll come a point and with that faith that started out the size of a mustard seed, we'll be able to move mountains. Start with what you have, though. You know, begin to trust God for the little things. Exercise that faith muscle. And when fear creeps in, I'm not saying that it doesn't. Fear and doubt, when that creeps in, sometimes it does. Take hold of those thoughts. Take every thought captive. Deal with those thoughts. And make sure your faith muscle is being worked out more than your fear muscle. Amen? And he continues on. Uh, we continue on in Matthew 21, 21, talking about the power of faith. He says, And Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown in the sea, it will be it will happen. So what's the key here? If you have faith and do not doubt. The truth is, is that, that fear and doubt, it, like I said earlier, it's the enemy of faith. It causes it, us not to have the ability to do these things in our life. But something else we need to understand about faith is faith is not about asking God to do stuff in your life. Did you know that? Sometimes you need to take authority and say things on your own. This scripture here, he doesn't say, if you have faith and do not doubt, uh, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up. It doesn't say, if you don't have faith and do not doubt, if you ask God to move this mountain, he will move it. But it says, no, it says that you will say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and it'll happen. You know, sometimes for the things that we're dealing with in our life, we need to take authority and operate in faith. God has given us the authority to deal with these things. My pastor used to say, we need to stop telling God about our problems, but start telling our problems about our God. We need to begin to speak to these things. We need to have authority over these things. Because the truth is, is that you have Christ inside of you. You have his authority inside of you. In Galatians 2.20, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
Crucified with Christ means that we traded places. He died the death that we should have died, and we got the life that was his has now been given to us. And by faith, we're brand new. It's no longer we who live, but it's Christ inside of us. That means that our old life has passed away. We're not who we used to be. We're justified. We're holy. We've been made perfect. We are pure and we are redeemed. That's what the Bible says about you if you are saved. Now I get it. We all don't live like that all the time. Sometimes it takes a little bit for what happens in the spirit to catch up to your body. That's why the Bible says we have to take every thought captive. That's also why the Bible says that we need to put on the new self every single day. Because if we don't make a conscious effort to do it by faith every single day, sometimes that old life tries to sneak back in. Amen? But faith is how we step out into what God has said of us. He says, how the life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God. And that means that even if our soul, which you're, you're, you know that you, you are a spirit, you have a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and you live in a body. Sometimes our soul, our mind, will, and emotions is in opposition with what has happened in our spirit. And I'm sure you've all experienced that in your life. The Bible says that you are pure. But how many sometimes don't feel pure? The Bible says that you are forgiven. But how many do you sometimes not feel forgiven? That's because our, our, our soul, our, our, our mind, our will and emotions becomes at odds with what has happened to us in the spiritual realm. That's what John was talking about. When we just went through the, the first book of John, when he talked about that, that uh, the Spirit actually deals with when our heart condemns us. The Spirit speaks for us when our heart condemns us. Because it says something different about us than what our heart sometimes does, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Faith is how we step out into what God has said of us, even when our family and friends tell us something different. I remember when I first wanted to start, uh, decided that uh, really it's when I stopped fighting God and said, okay, I'll do it, I'll be a pastor. There were a lot of people who didn't see it happening. A lot of people who didn't see me becoming a pastor, who didn't think it could happen, and, and they had doubts. But the truth is, is by faith, I stepped out into what God had to me regardless of what friends and family said about me. And Lord knows my past tries to creep up into my life as well, but the truth is, is that by faith, I am who God says I was regardless about, of what my past tries to say about me. And certainly, regardless of what the devil has to say about me. One of the greatest ways the devil is going to accuse you and attack you is the same way that he did to Jesus. And if you read about what happened to Jesus when he was in the desert for 40 days and, and 40 nights and the devil came against him, he kept saying, if you are the Son of God, over and over, he attacked the identity of Jesus. That was his primary attack vector was, if you are, then do this. So how many know that's not going to be any different for, for the enemy attacking you in your life? If you are really saved, then why did you do this? If you are forgiven, then why did this happen? Your identity is going to be completely attacked, and it's by faith we live in the identity that Christ has given us. Amen? Because here's the deal. If you hold on to your faith, you will have victory. 2 Corinthians 5-7 by says, We walk by faith and not by sight. 
this is where I was talking about uh, that, that difference between what we see and what is uh, physically see versus what the Bible says is true. When I was in Africa doing ministering to, um, really we were ministering to pastors, it was a pastor's conference, we had this, uh, this man came up to me, and some of you guys have heard this story, but they asked me to pray for him. And uh, several weeks before this, he was out working in the field, and he essentially buried an axe into his foot, and it split open his foot. And uh, they uncovered it, it was covered in a handkerchief, and, and I could, it was still wide open, I could see the bone. And I began to pray for him, and uh, we asked God to heal him, and then I told him the same thing that I tell other people when I'm praying for healing is that if you wake up in the morning and you see the cut or you see whatever that you're dealing with, you need to begin speaking to that thing again as well, saying, no, this isn't what God says about me. And the next day he came in and they showed me his foot, and you could still see there was a cut there, but the skin had already begun knitting in around it. I began to see God work on this man's foot within 24 hours. And I told him, look, it may not be completely healed, but you don't stop there. You keep trusting God. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. There's always going to be uh, a difference. And I guess the, the way my pastor used to say it, and I, and I like to talk about it, is, is there's a difference between fact and truth. You know, the fact is, you might be sick today. But the truth is that you are healed by the power of God. The fact is that you might have lost your job. But the truth is, is that God will provide for you and make sure that you have everything that you need according to His riches. The fact is, is that you might feel alone, but the truth is, is that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And the fact is that you might feel unclean, but the truth is, is that you are the redeemed in Christ if you have accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. There's always an opposition between fact and truth, and that's why we walk by faith and not by sight, even when sometimes our sight tells us, tells us something different. We have to make a choice to believe what God says or to believe what we see. And if you want to have victory in this area, you just keep stepping out in faith. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Who wants to overcome the world? First step is to be born of God. And then this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's our faith that allows us to be born of God, and because of that, our faith, we have overcome the world. The truth is, is that the world is always knocking. Temptation is everywhere. Now more than ever, some of the greatest blessings that we have with technology and the ability to communicate also uh, carry with them some of the greatest detriment to the Christian faith that we can have. We see stuff advertised on billboards that are just awful, particularly for men who deal with that type of temptation. The stuff is everywhere. Temptation is everywhere. It's always going to be knocking. And the way we overcome it is by faith, by putting our trust in Him, by believing that we are restored, that we are redeemed, we're not who we used to be, that we have overcome every temptation that comes our way. And we overcome it by faith. Faith that we're healed. Faith that we're victorious. Faith that we're more than conquerors. Faith that we're loved. Some of you would do well to just get up every single morning, look in the mirror and say, He loves me. God loves me. Repeat that to yourself over and over and over and see what would happen with your life. Because some of you guys don't believe that. 
but he loves you. Faith that you're forgiven. How many people do you know think that, that for some reason whatever they have done is so bad that God can't forgive them? I look at the life of Paul and the things that he did that were committed against the church and God still forgave him. And not only did he forgive him, he used him to be one of the, the to be probably the greatest apostle. Certainly for us today, he wrote most of the New Testament. You are forgiven, but you have to believe that. Believe that what God says is true. The victory that we have is faith that we are saved. Amen. And in Luke 18 through 17, it says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Such a beautiful description of faith. And I didn't understand this at first. What do you, what do you mean, receive faith like a child? But then I began to see some of the stuff kids did. Have you ever seen a kid standing up like on a jungle gym and the dad's, you know, few feet away and jump i'll catch you and they just go with reckless abandon that's faith the child had no doubt that the father would catch them not not even a split second of doubt that's the kind of faith that god is looking for when i when when blake was younger i, I this is kind of where i really understood it is he had this toy that he had broken and he brought it up to me and he said dad fix it and it wasn't like a, a little broken thing. Like it was broke good, like snapped in half. And I told him, son, there's, I can't fix it. It's broken. And he looked at me and he said, yes, you can. Without a doubt in his mind. He just knew I could fix it. Even when I told him something different. You know, that's the kind of faith that I want to have in God. The difference is, is that in that instance, I had to let him down. I couldn't fix it. But God will never let you down. The reality is, is that children rely on their parents for everything, particularly when they're really little. They need to be fed, clothed, bathed, everything. They need to be told to brush their teeth, told to go to bed, everything. They, they rely on us completely. And that's what God wants, is for us to rely on Him completely for everything. Amen? Let's take a Look at a few examples of incredible faith in the Bible. Matthew 15, 25 through 28. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. There's been a lot of stuff going around on the internet right now talking about how somehow Jesus was racist when he referred to this woman as, as, a, as a dog. You know, it says, and one, he didn't actually call her a dog. He just said it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And the word used here was not actually, uh, the, the, the Greek word is not actually a derogatory term. There is another term that they use when they want to refer to somebody as a dog in the Greek that's very derogatory. This is more like uh, 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 another word for for like family pet, family puppy, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pet. It's, it's not a derogatory term. I think what Jesus was doing was just explaining that, that even in the household, the, the children are fed first before the dogs. Not because they hate the dogs, not because they don't dislike the dogs, but because the dogs aren't part of the family. And that's really what he's dealing with here, right? 
it's not saying anything about her specifically other than she's not part of the family who he was sent to come to first. And the, we know it wasn't terribly derogatory because she doesn't respond like it was derogatory. <laughs> she just says, yeah, but even they get the crumbs from the table. And here's the thing is that she knew something about Jesus that probably nobody around her did, and she trusted in who he was. She knew that he could take care of the situation, and she put her trust in him, even with resistance, even when it didn't seem like it could work out. And because of that, Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. It was her faith that made the difference. Amen? Luke 7, 6-9 says, And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under, set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. You know, you only find Jesus marvel in two different occasions in the Bible. Extreme uh, measures of faith and extreme lack of faith is when Jesus marvels. And in this case, he says, he says he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And here's the deal with this centurion. He was a soldier and as a, as a centurion, as a, as a captain over 100 men, when he told one of his men to do something, he didn't check on him. Matter of fact, he didn't even have to be in the room with him. He could send him a letter. He could send a messenger. And if he told him to do something, he knew that it was going to be done because that's the authority he had. And, and, and this centurion knew that he's not even, a, not even a, a, a Jew, but he knew the authority Jesus had. And he says, you know what? You don't even have to come. You just say the word and it'll be done. That was living by faith, trusting that Jesus could do what he said he could do, that he was who he said he was, and he put his trust in him. And as an example for us, as a demonstration of great faith. The truth is, is that you and I are men and women under authority as well. And Christ has given us all authority, not in our own power, but through him we have the authority to speak to mountains, to speak to cancer, to speak to our finances, to speak to the stuff going on around us. We have that authority. And Jesus said that we will do works even greater than these. Amen? And then we'll finish here today in Hebrews 6, 11 through 12. He says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, I don't know all the details between faith and timing. I do know the Bible says this, that if you have trust in the Lord, you have faith, and you don't doubt, then we have those things that we pray for, that we have faith for. But it also says here that through faith and patience, you inherit the promise. I don't know how it all works out. I don't know why sometimes we have to wait and why sometimes it happens right when we pray and, and sometimes it happens longer than others. But I do know the Bible says that we're to have faith, the word of trust. I don't know all the details, but I do know this. We need to have faith. We need to pray in faith. We need to walk in faith. And we need to believe that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he's going to do. 
Because here's the thing. If you plant the seed and it doesn't sprout forth in a couple days and you dig it up, what you're going to find is that it was getting ready to burst through the surface, but you dug it up and you killed it because you didn't have the patience to believe that something was going on that you couldn't see. The truth is, is that when we plant a seed, we can't see what's happening. We can't see it grow. We can't see what's going on. But then one day it sprouts from the surface because we believed that if we plant that seed, that it will grow. And the same is true with our faith. Sometimes it doesn't happen the way we expect it to happen. But that's why it's, it's assurance of things unseen, conviction of things unseen. We may not be see what's going on under the surface all the time, but we continue to trust anyway. Most of the time that we don't receive what we've been having faith for is because we didn't wait long enough. We didn't believe long enough. We essentially gave up and let unbelief kick in. But I know that there are people in the Bible that have believed for much longer than they have believed for longer than any of us will have been alive. Noah believed for 120 years that what God said was true. Can you imagine? Most of us can't go you know, 120 days believing for something and it not happening before giving up. 120 years he believed that something that had never happened before, ever, was going to happen, that the earth was going to flood, that the rain was going to come and it wasn't going to stop. If you look at what some scholars say, that before the flood, the, the earth actually didn't even rain. It was all handled by, by dew and condensation on the ground. It was what watered the ground. So they were waiting for something that had never happened before. And he kept building the ark. And he kept getting ready. And he preached for 120 years. The least successful preacher that ever lived. Not one person got on the boat other than his family. Yet he did what he was supposed to do. He kept the faith. And what do you know, after 120 years, the floodwaters came. What about Abraham? He believed for 25 years. He almost dug up his own seed when he, when he went ahead and had Isaac. You know what? I'll go ahead and give God a hand. Church, don't, don't try to give God a hand. If God says he's going to do something, believe him. Unless he tells you to get involved, you just need to trust him. But Abraham believed for 25 years before that promise ever came to fruition. So church, I know you can believe for a few days or months or even a couple years for what God has said he's going to do. Amen? Because here's the thing. James 1.3 says this. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's time for us to be steadfast. To continue believing even when it seems like nothing's happening. Church, we're, we're a people who walk by faith. It's time for us to exercise that faith muscle. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.